Hello and thanks for downloading the Charlie Higson and Friends podcast, which originally broadcast on Scala Radio, a station where we like to have fun with classical music. It's home to Charles Nove and Simon Mayo and Mark Kermode and me, Penny Smith. And you can find us on DAB Digital Radio, scalaradio.co.uk and on the Scala app. But enough about me. It's time to hand over to Charlie. Hi, you're listening to Charlie Hickson and Friends here on Scala Radio. And my friend tonight, who I've known for, gosh, nearly 55 years now. No, 44 years, I think. 40, 44. 44 years. 44. 45. Is, um, 44. The legendary... 45 years. Well, 45. Isn't it? Because it's 2023 now. 50, 50, 55. 55. It's, it's Harry Enfield. Um, and we're, we're going over our lives and the intersections with music. Well, let's go straight into a piece of music um, that you've chosen, Harry. I asked you to think of a track that rouses you. Yes. And you went for Shostakovich's uh, Suite for Jazz Orchestra. I did. Um, and... Yes, the reason I chose this, it feels like a sort of great big pompous Russian sort of film from the 1970s starring Peter Ustinov. And, <laughs> you know, it's, and when I listen to it, if it was on now, I could show you. Go, who's that over there? Is that Count Orlov? <laughs> it's Count Ustinov. <laughs> and who's that pretty lady with him? That's Dame Glenda Jackson. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just got that feel of Yeah, or something like films. Murder on the Orient Express or yeah. something like that sort of... That sort of um, gaiety... Yes, well, it's a, it, it is an, it's an interesting mix of classical, jazz, and as you say, there's a, there's a the strong cinematic feel to it. Yeah, now you've you've got a love of those those sort of old films and that sort of, particularly the sort of fifties era. I mean, you've you've done so many yeah. film parodies and voices and like the Chumley Warner type thing. And yeah, that sort of old school. Yes, I don't know how that happened really. That. Well, I know exactly how it happened. When we were living together in Hackney and 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 next door to each other through the wall, I think Channel 4 had just started and they had those films in the afternoon a lot. So we just sort of watched them um, on Friday. I think it was Friday afternoon. There was one afternoon in particular mm. they had them. So I'd watch them and... Yeah, you'd get you know, all the Will films and yeah. St Trinian's films. All and... those things. And it just sort of went in the way of, you know, Brief Encounter and all that. Yeah. So I started doing them, thinking, well, we'll do the slobs and the DJs and a bit of this stuff. And then it sort of stuck. <laughs> and now I think I get asked to do things that are retrospectives mm. because they'll probably include... They know I can do that sort of stuff. <laughs> but I don't have a particular... Although I do, actually. I'm working at the moment writing with Jeremy Dyson, The League of Gentlemen, mm -hmm. something that will be set in the 50s, if anyone wants to make it, right. um, in the year of the coronation. So the idea is how f how far forward Britain has moved. So yes. Since, well, I mean, I, I guess then. what you were doing in so many of those things was was sort of looking at today's world through the lens of how things were presented yes. 50 years ago. Or whatever. There was quite a funny... Uh, what do they call when people send round videos on the... A meme? OK, a meme. The Paul Whitehouse sent me, which was the Women Know Your Limits, that right. sketch. But they, you know, had 
in their voices. This woman comes up with wild and dangerous opinion. I think that we should leave the gold standard. And they'd replaced Carla Mendonza with, with Liz, Liz Truss. <laughs> But made it black and white. Look at how they look at her. What a venomous harridan, whatever it, however it is. And it was her, you know, at that time when that, all that oh, was going. Excellent. I must check that out. Yeah, it was good. Well, that that sketch, funnily enough, the the women know your rights. It's got limits. millions and women know your limits. Mm. Yes, it's got millions and millions of views on YouTube, hasn't it? I, I think know. it's probably the thing of yours on there that has been viewed yeah. the most. Really, yeah. But, but, but uh, I remember the one that certainly was viewed the most. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't really... I haven't seen for years, but... It, I did a sketch with Ronnie Corbett that, that the Dawson brothers wrote That's for right. David and, yes. um, and Matt um, about a Blackberry being bust. And it had something like 20 million views or 30, mm. you know, it's just going up and up. So then, I, you know, everyone was telling me, you see the night, so I saw and it's like, wow, 20 million. And I looked at, thought, I wonder how many, say, Women Know Your Limits has had, and it was like about 200,000 or so. No, it's not, it's, it's a huge amount. Well, but, I, but, it, but it leads me to ask, why have you never had put any of your shows out on, on DVD? Does anyone have a DVD player anymore? I don't know. I don't know, Charlie. I think at the time, I just... You know me, I, I quite like to kill things off and it's done. And I did the shows and then... You can be quite ornery, can't you? Yeah, ordinary. No, ornery. I don't know what that means. Sort of... Not exactly stubborn, but... D Perverse. Not doing what people want you to do. Yeah. You've never uh, liked that. Yes, you but always what wanted I to don't steer want steer your own path. You don't want to get sort of stuck in that thing. And I think when DVDs were coming out, you know, there'd been the videos and then suddenly everyone's getting DVDs. And I just thought, well, they've bought them on video. It just seems like a con putting them out again. And, you know... Well, they don't have to buy them again. You're not forcing them to. No, I don't know. I just thought, well, it's time. It's time to move on from this and do something. Because you know, I, I think the, people the, the forget branding. just how massive your sketch shows were in the in the. In the yeah, 90s. they they were well, they were big. Yeah, they were big. You know, you had. But everyone who watched them like is dead now, except for us. Well, you could say <laughs> the same about the fast show, but uh, you know that it is, matter, that still yeah. exists out there. Yeah. And you had, like, three or four times the number of viewers that we ever had. Well, I don't know. You um, did, I'm telling the, you. Well, the biggest show I've ever done was Spitting Image, which used to right. get about 13, 13 and a half million a yeah. week. So it's been downhill ever since then. Well, that's life, isn't it? That's yeah, how it it's works. fine. It's quite actually sobering if you think, ah, right, uh, you know... It's quite a good thing to start with, something that everybody is talking about, <laughs> like spitting image and every... You know, the papers would be full of spitting mad and spitting this and the yes. politicians would be talking about it and you really felt like you were at the hub of... Well, that, well, I mean, that, it's very different now. It's it's terribly innocent show now. You know, there's nothing... I mean, the but zeitgeist... That, but that's what was so exciting about doing Friday, Friday Night Live when we were doing loads of money, mm. was it was live. And it was going out yeah. to the nation, and so then the following week we could write 
new material for the next show based yeah. on how people were responding to it and how it was being picked yeah. up. And the yeah. tabloids took it on and the government took it on. Thatcher and Kinnock both yeah. referred to it. Um, it's funny, yeah. And, and you know, and it was that live aspect that we could, you know, you get a feed, yeah. feedback loop. It feels like thing. a small... I mean, it was a much smaller world. You know, because the politicians used to go on about spitting image and then they're going on about loads of money mm. or whatever. And it's like, well, we only had a little bit of telly and this many politicians and it felt like maybe we were just in a big little bubble where where we could feel important. Whereas now we're just part of the, the global thing, aren't we? We're tiny, tiny raindrops. Uh, Harry, you're you are still a huge, huge, huge star. Do you think so, yes. darling? And you've been yes, a, I know. a mainstay of mm. BBC comedy now for nearly yeah. 200 years. <laughs> Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. So, Harry, I've been talking about your your love of that, that sort of... Well, the voice, as much as anything, of old-school films and TV... Old um, school to even us, you mean, your 50s? Even to us. The ancients. Yes. Um, Basically back to ancient Rome. Which almost. which this next yeah. piece reminded me of. Um, I'd asked you to play a piece that was perhaps a bit more unusual that people might not have uh, know, and you suggested a Mozart piece, and I glanced at it and thought, well, people know Mozart, don't they? But it's, it's Leopold Mozart, and it's a piece that's played or written for... An unusual instrument. Yes, it's written for a host pipe. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's Gerard Hoffnung, who was one of the people I discovered in the Hackney Library when yeah. we were living there. And there was a little comedy section. It had sort of the sound of swinging sellers, Peter Sellers, mm-hmm. and these Hoffnung albums. Oh, God, they look... And then I liked the covers. They had funny cartoons on. And then I got them, and he... One of the records was a double act with him and a chap called Charles Richardson that they'd done in 59 on a programme called Saturday Night on the Light. <laughs> Hoffman died in 1958, so it must have been 58, he, just before yeah. he died. And he was very he, young. He was died. 34. Even though he sounds like he's about 64, doesn't he? Oh, older than that. Charles Richardson, good evening, my dear Hoffman. Good evening, my dear fellow. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Mr. Hoffman. What have you been up to this week? Oh, you weren't very well last week, were you? That's right, now. What have you been doing, Mr. Hoffman? You had a dripping nose, <laughs> dripping eyes. <laughs> it's just a very funny double act. Well, I mean, my... <laughs> With one person being really annoyed and the other one... Sorry, yeah. Being obtuse. Mm. But, I mean, where was... Uh, Funnily enough, one of the few albums that my parents had was a Gerard Hoffnung album, which has his monologue of... Particularly the one that I really loved was the... It was supposedly based on a real letter from a builder. It's a claim for insurance, which is a very funny story about lifting up some bricks on a rope, yes. which um, I would, I could, you know, I listened to over and over again. He read it at the Oxford Union. That's right, it's yes. the Oxford Union. He was a German-Jewish... Born in Nazi Germany, and they moved. I think when he was thirteen or fourteen to Highgate, mm. 
And then he learnt his English from old people who talk like that. <laughs> well, that's often you get that, you know, often it is, you know, immigrants who, who become more English than the English. They take on well, yes, those I characteristics. Mean, I, you know, but he was, like, uh, very good friends of Donald Swan and, and, and yes. people like that. And they were part of a generation of people, of musicians and funny people, mm. In, in an age of innocence, really, just the war is over and a brave new mm. world and everyone is going to be lovely and decent and everyone is going to enjoy classical music written for a hosepipe. Yes. And he does one with a, a vacuum cleaner as well, yeah. which... Well, he was... Elena Bron was famous for doing and, and things like that. And it's just... You know, Festival of Britain, sort of yes. around that time, there was a huge well, that era optimism. that you seem drawn to. <laughs> it's an optimism, isn't yes. it? That, you know, it's all, and, it, and an innocence, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. he was in some ways like the sort of Bill Bailey of his time, wasn't he? Because he would do these big concerts with a full orchestra, yes. which had a lot of comedy mixed in, but also, you know, he's actually very skilful. The music side of it is very skillful. Yes. He played the tuba. That's right, yes. Yes. And there's one of these interviews, they say, you know, he's saying, what are you? Yeah, I'm an artist, you know, because he was also a cartoon. Mm. He goes, I'm an artist, you know, if you really want to know. It's what you want to know, isn't it? Yes, yes. And, and a musician. All my artist friends think I'm a very good musician. <laughs> and all my musician friends think I'm a very good artist. <laughs> So, Harry, you, you've developed a love of classical music in the 80s and you still listen to a, a lot of classical music. Is there anything that you've discovered recently that has excited you? Well, uh, I, I've rediscovered something right. that I uh, hadn't listened to since 1974 and that was my parents got concerned by my love of pop music, <laughs> <laughs> especially Slade and Mark Boland and things, and they worried about it. And for Christmas, they gave me a record of classical pop music. Right. Written by a chap called Waldo de los Rios. Right. And it was sort of guitar-y, quite popped-up yes. classical music. And they hoped that this would make me go from one to the other. Needless to say, I found it utterly depressing <laughs> that they hoped that, and they couldn't just... Let me be me. What's interesting, particularly, is they didn't seem to listen to any classical music themselves. No, but what they didn't want... <laughs> they didn't want pop music, pop anything music, except pop anything music. Anything except pop music. And uh, so they, get, they got me this record by Waldo de los Rios, and there's a Mozart piece on it that recently, when we were doing the story of the twos, mm. there's a sort of Howard's Way bit right, section yes. where everyone's... It's very sort of early 80s, aspiring, you know, he's going to spend £5,000 on the boatyard, you know, <laughs> investing. <laughs> what? Yeah, five. <laughs> and uh, it wanted some sort of pleased with itself music yes. to go with it. And I suddenly sort of remembered this this track. So I got in touch with Kate and, and Neil McColl and Callum McColl, who were the music people on it, and they agreed that this piece had the sort of smuggery that, that was required. Mm. So we put it in the programme and it just lifted the piece. It made it so pleased with itself. <laughs> and it was really sad, really, because I, obviously when I was looking up this thing, I found that he'd sort of released two of these albums. He was a Chilean mm. and he committed suicide 
quite soon after. I don't know why, whether he was a depressive or not enough people bought his music. So I'm sorry I used it in a smug fashion. <laughs> it might have but been then, because... But, but it's, the, it's the Mozart 40th, isn't it? And there was... There was a hit, a top ten hit version of it, but was it his version or it a might different have been. version? It might have been. That, I think, was just called Mozart 40. I think but, it, but, it might be that. So that, for Harry, was a, was a blast from the past where um, parents trying to improve him <laughs> failed at the time, but something stuck and, and, and it was useful later on yeah. to, make, to make the nation laugh. Yes, my poor parents... The only thing my dad ever said to me in terms of a career was, what, I don't mind what you do, but just don't go on the stage because there's 90% unemployment, which was good advice. And so I immediately went on the stage. Well, my dad did exactly the same. The best piece of advice he ever gave me, he was a, an accountant, and um, uh, he said, because I was always writing, he said, well, you know, you can not, don't stop writing. Keep You can keep writing in your spare time. That's fine, but... Um, make sure you get a proper job because you'll never make any money as a writer. Mm -hmm. And again, like you, I was 16. I completely did the opposite of whatever my father told me to do. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And I've been, we've both been lucky that we've made yeah. careers doing creative things that we've enjoyed. Yes, we've been lucky. There are yes. probably 90% of people in our business should have taken their father's advice. Well, we always need accountants. But we didn't. But, you know, it's just luck, isn't it, really? That, that, that. Well, um, luck and, and something. My poor dad, and he also he got me a suit for interviews. <laughs> he made me. He got me one cut by a tailor in Chichester, in Sussex. I went to his. He got me a suit, at probably considerable cost, and so that I'd be presentable yes. in interviews when I left university. And I wore it on stage for about three years. <laughs> and then we did a tour with the Stranglers, Brian Elsie and I, and. It was sort of young people who just hadn't been there during punk and just thought it was about gobbing. Yes. They were really happy to be there, and we were the support act. And I bet you went down a storm. 20 gigs. <laughs> it was actually quite fun. But, um, <laughs> after 20 gigs, this suit oh, made by Dad's tailor God. was standing up. and Did it, you ritually it, burn it? I didn't keep it. <laughs> I didn't send it to the dry cleaners because I'm sure it would have been full of made the whole of Hackney um, ill with something. <laughs> so sadly it went in the bin and that was his only other contribution to my my career. <laughs> the great thing about all types of music is you can constantly be discovering new pieces, new composers, yes. and sometimes forgotten composers are kind of given a new lease of life. Um, so is there any anyone you've come across recently? Yes, I said Canna Mason's, Samuel Coleridge Taylor's Impromptu Number 2 in B minor. And how did you come across this? Because I met her and asked the her... The pianist? Yes, she's a pianist, and I met her and um, politely asked her what she did, and then she told me, and then I looked her up on Spotify, mm. and I thought, crikey... <laughs> This well, person should have been shrieking from the rooftops, not just saying I'm a pianist. Right. So, so, so I wanted to... Um, being modest. I really, really like it, yeah. And, and Samuel Coleridge-Taylor is an interesting composer in that he was uh, a black classical yes. composer, very few of whom there were back when he was composing. Yes. Probably was best known for he did a sort of semi-opera about Hiawatha. Oh, yes, yes. 
Now, Harry, you briefly mentioned Kate St. John and Neil McColl, who are musician friends, friends of, of both of us, who, like so many creative people, have to diversify as much as they can, and they've gone from playing... Well, they still do play a lot of... Yeah, Neil's on tour with... Did a big international tour with David Gray last mm. year. And, and Kate has played various... Um, Read instruments in in various different um, lo- played with loads of people, um, but they also now do music for TV and film, and for um, far from the madding crowd. Yes, they were brought in because there's a lot of live music played in the show by like folk musicians and people, and so they organised that and played a lot of that. And you've chosen a lovely piece of folk music, and unusually, it is sung by two actors in the film, Kerry Mulligan and Michael Sheen. Kate did the original music for Harry Enfield's television programme, Harry Enfield and Chumps. Uh, yes. I thought you might have chosen some opera pieces, because I know you love opera. You actually presented, well, you made, Harry Enfield's Guide to the Opera. Yes. You and Paul doing yes, sort of comedy was, sketches. I suppose, gosh, yes, it was called Harry Enfield's Guide. I was the yes. product at the time. Yes. The brand, I mean. And it was a sort of introduction to, us, uh, to opera. I thought yeah. it was a great show. Oh, did you? Oh, good. I haven't, I haven't seen it for years. Well, that's because you I refused really to put any of your work it. out on, on DVD or <laughs> in a version <laughs> that someone could watch. I don't think I had anything right. to do with all that. OK. But, um, uh, yes, it was Opera North and uh, John Tomlinson we had doing um, a bit of Boris Goodenough. I mean, he was amazing. And uh, uh, Paul Daniel was... Uh, conducted all the bits we did. It was really exciting, really good fun. But, yes, yeah, so this Trovatore piece is, uh, you know, I really got... I I was very... Um, I listened to a lot of Verdi at, the, mm. at the time, around that time. And I think before my show came out, uh, um, it was quite soon after DVD, CDs had come out. And there weren't many CDs of pop bands, so I just bought classical CDs. And so I had... Like Trovatore, and there was a bit in it that I thought would sound like a TV comedy show <laughs> <laughs> if you made it a bit more umpapa. So Kate got it together, and I think the drums are played by Ben Hoffnung on my version, Gerald Hoffnung's son. Kate's done a lot of musical arrangements for things, including for you, Harry, on a few things, but um, a lot of people will know the. The, the, what you, I suppose you call it the theme music from Harry Enfield's television programme. Uh, well, yes, they might have known it 30 years ago. Yeah, sorry, yes. Because of your refusal to put things out in a version that people can actually watch. Yes, this is... Well, I don't refuse... I mean, no-one wants to know anymore, but anyway, um, <laughs> it's all on the YouTube. Uh, it's from Act 3 of Il Trovatore, and in Italian it is Squili Echeggi La Tromba. But I think it's more popularly known as the Soldier's uh, Chorus. Ba, 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 no one. spoilers. OK. So, sadly, we've come to the end of this edition of Charlie Higson and Friends. My friend for the last two hours, and our friendship is now officially over, is, <laughs> has been Harry Enfield, um, who I've known since 1978. Before, and it's been... 45 years. 40, 40, 45 years. Yeah. 
Who, uh, and it's been great going over some some old ground and some new ground and listening to some fantastic music. Um, it's been yeah. really fun, Charlie. Thank you, Switch, for having me. <laughs> <laughs> well, who'd have thought when yes. you turned up in Acle all those years ago? Yeah, and you saw this person with bleached hair and yeah. straight trousers scurrying around. That yeah. all these years later, we would be sitting. Talking about classical music. Yeah, yeah. Here exactly. at Scala Radio. Exactly. Which God. which didn't even exist at the time. No, no, I, I do remember once being quite uh, quite early on in the world of CDs. Like I was saying before, that there weren't many pop ones out, but there was HMV in, in Oxford Street. Yes. And there were sort of pop ones upstairs, and downstairs was all classical, and it was huge. Mm. And I went, and I was in the opera section looking at stuff, and over the counter was Pete Shelley from the Buzzcocks. And I was like, what? What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> in about 1984 or something, you know. Well, I only I thought, oh, my God. Classical music is for everybody. Yes, but uh, I was still at the time thinking, you shouldn't be listening to this. <laughs> I'm allowed to, but not you, Pete Shelley from the Buzzcocks. <laughs> Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. This episode of Charlie Higson and Friends featured an extract of the Soldiers' Chorus taken from Il Trovatore by Verdi, performed by the Hungarian State Opera Orchestra with the Budapest Festival Chorus conducted by Will Humberg. This recording is licensed courtesy of Naxos Music UK Limited and is available to buy from naxos.com. Charlie Higson and Friends podcasts were originally broadcast on Scala Radio in April 2021 and January 2023. Scala Radio is a radio station that celebrates classical music in all its shapes and sizes. We broadcast across the UK on DAB Digital Radio, on your smart speaker, on the Scala Radio app and online at scalaradio.co.uk. Scala.